welcome to New Life Church Sermons. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect more with us, go to newlifesl.church. in the spirit today to minister what God has placed on my heart and I feel today that it is for quite a few of you today and I feel it's for the church as a whole and so I want to direct your attention today to the book of Sam, 2 Samuel chapter number 11 and then we're going to jump to chapter 12 the book of 2nd Samuel chapter number 11 we're going to begin at verse number 1 to set the stage of what this word is going to speak I want to quickly give honor to where honor is due Pastor Pritt and his wife thank them that they trust me in their absence to speak and I give honor to Brother Ryan Pritt and his wife leading us into the presence of the Lord today and to all of you that are here I honor you and the faithfulness that you have you are here today even with somebody that you don't know (laughs) you're here but I believe that God is going to honor every one of your faithfulness today with something that will change your life if you allow it to. So 2 Samuel chapter number 11, and before I begin, I want to give honor to my wife as well. She's here with me. Thank you for being here. 2 Samuel chapter 11 says this, It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba? the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And they explicitly state those two names for David because Eliam, Bathsheba's father, was one of David's mighty men. He was a trusted soldier of David's. And then to further emphasize who she was, they said she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite, reminding David again, that's also one of your mighty men. This woman is connected to far more of your people than you realize. Verse 4, Then David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house 
We're going to skip over to the last half here of chapter 11. We're going to read from verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And jumping to verse or chapter 12, verse number 5. Don't worry, we're going somewhere. I know you've been standing here. Stay with me. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And verse 7 is where we're going. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. And today I want to speak to you on this thought, the gift of repentance. The gift of repentance. Would you close your eyes and lift your hands right now? God, we come before you grateful for your love and for your mercy that's going to that's already in this house and that's going to answer the the prayers and the needs of your people here god we thank you lord for everything that you have done and all that you are doing god i pray that you would speak anoint god change our hearts lord and i pray god today have your way in jesus name and everyone said in Jesus' name, you may be seated. I give honor to the music. You all have done a tremendous job today. Let's give our musicians and singers a hand. Amen. I heard it like this. Someone said this, that musicians and singers give a soundtrack to our worship. And I find that so appropriate. We don't appreciate our musicians and singers enough. They give our worship the sound that reflects what's in our hearts. Amen. So today we're going into the scripture here and we've, we've read the story. Adultery, deception, murder. David slept with another man's wife specifically the wife of one of his close soldiers whom David trusted. The same woman who was also the daughter of another of his close soldiers. And what did David do? He tried to cover up his sin. The Bible talks about how David tried to have Uriah come back and tried to get him drunk so he would spend some time with his wife. He would sleep with her and cover up the sin that she was already pregnant. And when he realized that Uriah was way too honorable for that, to allow himself to come back when the battle is raging and uh, to be in a time of peace when everyone else was in a time of war, David realized he can't, he can't trick 
Uriah into doing this. He can't cover this up the way that he wanted. And so what he decided to do was he wrote a letter to the general of Israel's army. He wrote a letter to Joab, and he said, place Uriah at the, in the most uh, uh, toughest of places, in the, the place where the battle is the hottest, and there allow him to die. And he wrote this letter, and the messed up thing was he gave this letter to Uriah to deliver to Joab the general. Think about how messed up that is. He gave the letter that would be the, the death sentence for Uriah to Uriah. And Uriah was so honorable, he did not open that letter up. He did not read that letter. He just simply went to Joab and delivered it. That shows the kind of character that Uriah was. He was a good man. He was loyal, he was faithful, and he was committed. And what ends up happening, we read it in Scripture that Uriah gets placed into where the battle is the hottest, where it's the most difficult. And what happens is he dies in the battle. And word gets back to David. And David plays this little part. He plays along and says, well, you know, battle and war kills a lot of good men. And, uh, you know, that's just how it happens. And he was totally unmoved, unfazed. He then marries Bathsheba, the widow of this man who he had murdered. And in the midst of all of that, the Bible says that the Lord saw this and he was displeased. Nathan the prophet then goes to confront him. And he tells him a story of a rich man who steals the lamb of another man who only has this one lamb. And we can understand that this lamb is probably representative of a wife. David had at this point quite a few, more than one, more than three. One is enough. All the married men say amen. Carefully, carefully, maybe whisper it. <laughs> but one was enough, but here's David with quite a few. And God tells him, basically, uh, through the story, that he has everything that he wants. And yet, here is David asking for something that didn't belong to him. God had given David everything, and to David, it wasn't enough. He gave into his flesh, and dare I say, he gave into addiction. Hmm. I'm going to let this settle here for a moment, because David had a problem. He had a woman problem. He had a lust problem. Anyone that was beautiful to him, he took for himself. He took uh, 
people or women that were beautiful to his eyes. And you can read this throughout his story that he had always a woman problem that even up to his old age, they had this young woman that would come in to him and would sleep next to him to keep him warm because his servants thought that's what David needed. Imagine that. He had so much addiction to his life that everybody saw it and enabled it by the time he was older. So let's talk about sin and the addictions. When we are full of these addictions, we give into our flesh. Our addictions rule our hearts. They rule our eyes. They rule our hands. They rule our feet. How many times have we given in to things that we know were wrong before the Lord? How many times have we gone to the altar of addiction and allowed our hearts to be surrendered to it? How many times have we allowed ourselves to be ruled by something in our flesh and by the enemy? That old prophet points his crooked pointy finger at David and tells him, You are the one, the one who failed, the one who destroyed the people around you. You are that rich man who took that lamb from that poor man. You are the one that gave in. You are the one that is at fault. Church, we must confront our sins. We have to look what has been done by our hands. You thought it wouldn't reach the point that it did. You thought that it wouldn't affect anybody but just you. It's still happening and you feel like you have lost control. You thought it wouldn't get to this point. You've struggled with it for years. I know I've hit something. Because I can feel the hurt in here, the silence. There is struggle in this place here today. Things that are in the back of our hearts. Things that we've allowed in. And it's, it's gotten to that point where you have to realize this. We have all fallen We've all come short of the glory of God. We all have to remember this. I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm not saying that I'm more righteous than you because all of us have fallen and come, and come short of the glory of God. But we have to confront what is inside of us. We have to confront what is there in the darkness of our lives. When nobody else is watching, when nobody else is there, when you're home all alone or when you're out driving all by yourself and you find yourself at a place, you've driven there and you don't even know how you got there 
or you found yourself in front of the computer on a website you never thought you would be at. You found yourself on your phone late at night in a place that you never thought you would be in. But you've been there many times. You've given in many times. You've found yourself there many times. And we have to confront that fact. It's not just once. It's not just twice. But it's been many times. David is there at that place with the finger of the prophet pointing at him. And David's response is what all of our response needs to be. He says these words, I have sinned against the Lord. You know what that tells us? He took responsibility for it. He didn't blame anybody. He didn't say, it was my wives. Notice I said wives. My wives were not, you know, they weren't taking care of my needs. My, my wives weren't there for me. They weren't giving me attention. He didn't say anything like, oh, well, you know, uh, I've always had this problem. It's been in my family for generations. You know, it's always been there. And that's just who I am. No, David takes the responsibility on himself. And what does he do? He humbles himself before the Lord. He humbles his heart before God and says, I have sinned against the Lord. I am the one at fault. And we can read his, his thoughts in Psalms chapter number 51. For he says, he starts talking about my sins, my transgressions, the times I broke the rules, God. I broke the covenant, my iniquity, the times where I have fallen short. I have sinned before you, God. And we can read it in Psalms chapter 51, verse 1, where he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to the multitude, or excuse me, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin and get this for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge and he goes on to say purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And my favorite verse in all of the Psalms, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, 
and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Oh, create in me a clean heart. And he goes on to say, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirits. Oh, how powerful are those words when they're spoken from the soul of a broken and a contrite heart. When it's someone that has been confronted by their sins and they take responsibility of it and humble themselves before God, before man, before those that he has done wrong. But the most powerful thing about this story comes in the very next verse. Nathan the prophet says one of the most profound things. The Lord also has put your sin away. Right there in an instant. But wait, wait, wait. Don't we have to be down here at the altar for hours saying, God, forgive me, forgive me. I'm so sorry, God. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for what I've did. I'm sorry for everything, God. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And don't I have to be there until I feel forgiveness? Don't I have to be there until I receive my breakthrough when I know my sin has been released from me? No. No, because repentance is different than a feeling of forgiveness. You don't have to feel forgiven. Because when you repent, you are asking God to forgive you and you're turning away from the things that you've done. You're stepping out in faith that he has already forgiven you. He's already done it. As soon as you've said, I'm sorry, God, for what I did, he says, it's done. But don't, don't I have to cry to show how repentant I am? Don't I have to have the this, this stream of tears? What if I don't have that? Uh, am I not forgiven? No, he's already forgiven you. It was done as soon as you said, I'm sorry. It was done as soon as you said, I'm turning away from those things and I'm going a different way. It is already done, believer. It is already done. It doesn't matter how far you are. It doesn't matter where you think you have sinned at, where you think you've gone wrong at. It doesn't matter as soon as you say, I'm sorry, God, it is forgiven. You're washed clean already. It's done. You don't have to walk around with shame and guilt on your life. You know what that is? That's the enemy. He is placing condemnation on your life. And the Bible says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who love God. 
You don't have to walk around with your head down and be condemned. That is a spirit of the enemy. And God has forgiven you and raised you up to stand in heavenly places with him. Come on right now. Just lift your hands up right now. Just lift your hands and thank him right now for the mercies of God, for his mercies that reached down for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That means when you're not faithful, he's still faithful. When you're not just and consistent, Jesus is still just and consistent. He does it instantly for you. He does it for you because he loves you. He's not a God with a hammer ready to hit you over the head every time you sin. He's not a wrathful father, but he's a loving, good, perfect father who reaches down to you and says, Come unto me, all ye who are weary. Come on, does anybody believe that? I feel it right now. I feel there's someone that needs a revelation of who your father is. He is not somebody that was like your earthly father who looked for mistakes in you, who tried to correct you at every turn. But he's a good and faithful father who loves you, who cares for you, who desires to be close to you. You feel like you have to do everything right with your earthly father, but with your heavenly father, you just have to lean on him. Some of y'all, you need a revelation. You need a revelation of the God that you serve. He does not hate you. He does not, he's not a God that is trying to take you to hell. But he's a God who wants you to sit in heavenly places with him. Jesus, Jesus, everyone say he's faithful. Say he's just to forgive. Say it, to forgive, to forgive. Oh, that's so powerful when we get that revelation that he wants to forgive us. He wants to restore us, that he wants to love us. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. So what is true repentance? What does that mean? You ask God to forgive you. You are repentant. You are humbling yourself before him. You ask him, God, forgive me. But you don't stop there. You turn away from the paths you once walked. 
Many times people just get that twisted where it's, oh, I just need to ask him for forgiveness. No. The Bible says he, he said it himself. After forgiving the woman or after saving the woman that was caught in adultery, he said to her, there's no accusers here for you. But he says this, go and sin no more. That means, yes, she was forgiven, but there wasn't repentance yet. You have to turn from those wicked ways. Turn away from the things that you used to do and pursue after the paths and the ways of the Lord. Because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Don't get it twisted that something out there is going to be the way and the truth and the life for you. There is only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. There's only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus. Jesus. But there's another step of repentance, and it's this. You believe he has forgiven you. And you forgive yourself. That's a whole other part that people rarely talk about. You have to forgive your own self of the things and the mistakes that you've made. You cannot live in that shame and the guilt of your forgiveness and repentance. You need to believe I am forgiven, and then you forgive yourself and release it. Oh, I feel right now there's a lot of forgiveness that needs to happen in some of you for your own selves. There's some things you've held on to, things that you find fault within yourself. You need to forgive yourself of those things. Some of you in here, you've, you've done, maybe, maybe you've committed adultery. Maybe you've lied. Maybe you've cheated. Maybe you've been someone that, that spoke against uh, uh, someone in your life. Maybe, maybe you gossiped behind their back. Maybe you slandered them. And you know deep within yourself, I'm messed up. I've made mistakes. But you need to forgive yourself of those mistakes and you need to move on repentance is a gift that allows us to be saved acts chapter number two verse number 36 through 39 it tells us this that after peter preached about jesus on the day of Pentecost, he says this, beginning at verse number 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Man and brethren, what shall we do when you feel bad when you have you know you've made those mistakes the gift of repentance is shown here that it is the way to salvation verse 38 then 
Peter said to them, repent, 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 repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a part of the way to salvation. You must repent. And that takes us to Romans chapter 8, verse 13 through 14. Put it up there for me. Romans chapter 8, verse 13 and 14. And it says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Because when you repent, sir, ma'am, you are putting to death the deeds of your body. You're putting to death the things of your flesh, the desires and the carnal nature that is within you. And it says this in the very next verse, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. When you repent, you become a son. You become a daughter because what's happening is your flesh is no longer in control. It is the spirit. Somebody lift up your voice right now and thank him. Thank you, Jesus. I'm coming to a close here tonight, today. It says this, James chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. James chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We could spend all day and preach from that, but I want to direct your attention to the next place. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Let me pause there. Some of y'all, you feel so far from God. Your heart has been so numb by the addictions you've given into, by the sins of your heart. But I'm here to tell you, you are not far from God. Because as soon as you take one step to draw near to him, he's already there drawn near to you. He's already there for you. He's already there with his hands stretched wide to you, saying, come here, I've been waiting for you. And it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Next part. Lament and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What is that talking about? Repentance, repentance, repentance. Allow your flesh to be put to death and he will draw near to you. He will be close to you. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And what does it say? Is that just talking about, oh, I'm going from here down on my knees to now he's lifted me up? No. I believe it has an even deeper meaning than that. That as you live this life of repentance, 
as you live this life that you are drawing closer to him. As you live this life where you are cleansing your hands and having a pure heart before God, he's going to lift you up to the heavens. Your heart will be ready to go to heaven. The gift of repentance opens that way for you. My final part of this today, and I want you to stand with me. Repentance plays an even greater role than just what's within you and the salvation that it allows you to have. I want us to go to 2 Chronicles chapter number 7, verse number 14. If you don't have this memorized, I highly encourage you to have this scripture memorized. And it says, if my people who are called by my name shall what? Humble themselves. Humble themselves. Humble yourself. And pray. And seek my face. And they, here it is. And turn from their wicked ways. What is that? Repentance. Right there. You see it for yourself in the scripture. Then what will happen? I will hear from heaven. And I will what? But there's one more part. And heal their land. This scripture here has so much inside of it. We could spend hours, days dissecting it, but I want us to focus on that last three words there. Heal their land, because this is what God has called me here for today. To get you to this point. To understand that the repentance that is within your heart, that you feel it within yourself that you need to do today. God wants to heal the land. He wants to heal the land that is in your heart. He wants to heal those broken things that are within you. Those deserted places that no one even knew was there within you. The dark places, the sin that was there. God wants to heal that part of your heart. The brokenness, the bitterness, the hurt and the struggle. God wants to heal the land of your heart. But he also wants to heal this city. That when you step out, maybe, maybe today you're somebody that you've already repented. But there's another part of this. You can repent for your land. You can repent for this city. You can repent for the, the things that are happening right now in our nation. That God would heal this land and bring revival. 
Some of you all, you need to go on prayer walks around your neighborhood, around your home. You need to go to these prayer walks, do some prayer walks around the city that you live in and begin to repent before God for your city, that God would heal the land, that God would restore his people, that there would be revival in this last day. As Brother Pritt was talking about, there would be revival in this day. Oh, there's repentance that needs to happen for your life. But there's repentance that needs to happen for this city. There's repentance that needs to happen for the land. That God would move again. That God would save. That God would restore.